I'd like to thank the Braille Institute for inviting me to come speak today about macular degeneration. I need to tell you I have no financial disclosures, which means I don't have any money invested in any companies that work on any of these things. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the big three common ophthalmology problems of the elderly. And those big three are cataract, glaucoma, and age-related macular degeneration. So briefly, cataract is a blurriness in the vision which is reversible due to an opacity of the lens inside the eye. People who have cataract have loss of contrast and brightness sensitivity. And again, this is reversible with cataract surgery where we replace your cloudy lens with a clear artificial lens. The second of the big three problems is glaucoma, which is nerve damage. And unfortunately, glaucoma damage is generally irreversible. And the treatments that we have are typically aimed at slowing down the vision loss and preventing more vision loss. And then finally, the third thing, which is the main topic of today, is age-related macular degeneration, which in general is irreversible and causes central vision loss. I'm speaking slowly to make sure that the interpreters have enough time to translate into Spanish for our Spanish listeners. So this is an image of what you would see if you had normal vision. Those two cute kids are my kids. Now, if you have cataract, what you'll experience is blurriness. And you can have different degrees of cataract. Everyone who's more than 50 has some amount. And we typically consider surgery when the cataract is bad enough that it affects your ability to drive or to do the things that you need to do. This is what you would see if you had glaucoma. Patients with glaucoma will typically start to lose vision in the periphery, but typically maintain their central vision. So this is how a patient with superior vision loss would see the world. They could still see in the middle, they could still read, but a chunk of their vision would be missing. The glaucoma might progress, and then they would have both superior and inferior vision loss. But again, in glaucoma, frequently the central vision is maintained. And this is what happens if you have advanced glaucoma and have lost most of your peripheral vision. We call this a central island of vision. And so a patient with this might still even be 20-20. When we measure in the office their visual acuity, but clearly this person has lost a lot of vision. 
Now in macular degeneration, you would get central blurriness. Here, I've shown some mild blurriness in the center. This would be worse. And then finally, if you lost all of your central vision, this is what the world would look like. You would still see in the periphery. So you could see the floor when you were walking. And you could see the ceiling. But obviously reading or seeing people's faces would be very difficult. And again, the picture here is assuming you're looking in the center, right? Everything is relative to where you're fixating. So the three things that I've briefly covered, the first is cataract, which is cloudiness in the lens, which is in the front of the eye. The second thing is damage to the optic nerve, and that's back here. So that nerve is, consists of over a million individual nerve cells that carry the vision from every single position that you can see. And those million cells all start in different places inside the eye, but they get together right here, and they leave the eye, and they go back all the way to the back of the head. And that's why treating glaucoma is very difficult because if you were to try and regrow those cells somehow, you would have to start somewhere in the eye and then force the cell to go through the nerve and then through the head and then find its way to the exact right position in the back of the brain. So that's very difficult. And then the third thing is the macular degeneration, which happens right here in the retina. So this is a picture of the retina in my eye. It's taken with a special camera that we have. It costs about $100,000, but it takes this amazing image of the entire inside of the eye. So in this photo you will see my nerve, which is right here. And you see all my blood vessels. And then there's this area right here, which is about the size of an eraser head on a pencil. It's very small. And that is called the macula. So I've blown it up here. So again, this is very small. It's about seven millimeters on this photo, but the central part is really about five and a half millimeters. And this is the part of your eye which is responsible for your central vision. So if you hold your hands out like this together, that part of your vision is your macula. So wherever it is that you're looking at, so that's where you read, that's where you watch television. That's where you drive, right? It's your central vision. Your peripheral vision is all the stuff outside of that.
So let's break the word down. So age-related means it happens in older people. We don't diagnose macular degeneration in 20-year-olds. The macula, as I've explained, is your central retina, and it's the part that's responsible for your central vision. And then degeneration just means progressive deterioration, which results in atrophy. So what I tell my patients is, in simple terms, with age, the trash removal system of the eye doesn't work very well, and you get buildup of metabolic waste products or debris or trash, it builds up underneath the retina. And this causes the retina on top of that trash to get sick and then ultimately die. So AMD affects about 2% of people who are over age 65. This doesn't mean that 2% of 65-year-olds have it. But if you take all the people who are over 65, then about 2% of those people would have it. And the incidence goes up as you get older. So 90-year-olds, much more common than in 65-year-olds. So when we talk about macular degeneration, we use two terms. You've probably heard them before. One is dry and one is wet. So dry or non-exudative means exactly that, that it's not exudative. And the wet or the exudative form is called wet because when we initially looked in the eye many, many, many years ago, before I was born, we would see hemorrhage and swelling. And so it was named wet because we saw blood and fluid. And then the dry kind was called dry because it didn't look wet. The dry kind is much more common. It's about 10 to 1. And it's categorized into early intermediate, and advanced forms. The wet kind is, by definition, advanced. And there's a high rate of vision impairment or legal blindness in the wet form. So this is a photo of an eye, of a retina, specifically the macula. Again, the nerve is on the left side of the screen. You see the blood vessels here. So the area between the blood vessels is the macula. And if you compare to mine, you notice that there's a different thing, which is there are these little yellow blobs, and those are underneath the retina. They're called drusen. And when we take a scan, which is shown below, this is called an OCT scan. The OCT device takes a slice. So it sends light into the eye, and as the light passes through the structures, some of it bounces back. And we use those bounces to recreate images of the eye. It's kind of like cutting a cake and seeing the different layers 
inside. And so this area is relatively normal. And you can see right here at the edge, there's a big mound of trash. This patient has a lot more. You can see them. They're all over the place. If you tried to count them, there were maybe 30 or 40 of these big ones and a whole bunch of these little small trash deposits. And again, that's shown on the scan below here as all these lumpy, bumpy things which are underneath the retina. Again, the retina is the part that's above this bright line. So this scan is taken right through this section and we're cutting through a bunch of those drusen. Early on, the drusen just cause a little bit of distortion because the retina is distorted by all of the trash deposits. The way I describe it is if you took a camera that used film, which we don't really use anymore because everything's digital now, but if you had a film camera and you wrinkled it up, that's what's happening to the retina. And that's why the picture is a little distorted. This is a picture of an eye with advanced dry macular degeneration. And it's advanced because there is now an area of atrophy right here. The scan is shown below. And so this area of the retina, those photoreceptors have died. So if I shine my laser pointer next to it, the patient will see the laser pointer. But if I shine the light right at the dead area, they will not see that light. On the scan, you can see that this layer right here seems to disappear in the area of the atrophy. So it looks almost like a waterfall has fallen and the contour of the retina itself has been changed. What would this look like for the patient? It would look like a dead spot in their vision. So again, that patient that I just showed you, they would see all of this, except there would be a dead spot right next to the center of their vision. Clearly, it would be difficult to read, and patients with dead spots like this have to learn to use what's called eccentric vision, or learn to look just to the side or above or below the thing that they're trying to read. This picture looks very different. So this is a patient who has the so-called wet or exudative macular degeneration. You can see, again, the nerve is here and the blood vessels are here, but you see a giant mound of something that's taking up most of the macula. The red that you see is blood. There's some scar tissue which is already forming here. And then there's lipid exudate, which is essentially the fat that gets left behind from leaking blood vessels. And this person's vision will be terrible.
We do some special tests, including injecting dyes into the vein that allow us to see where the blood is flowing and where it's not. And this helps us see areas that are active and areas that are inactive, which are lighting up here. This is a scan of a patient who has that swelling in the retina. And you can see, again, first of all, the big lumps underneath the retina and then giant pockets of fluid. I say giant because it looks big, but again, in reality, the whole area is only a couple of millimeters. So when the retina is swollen like this or has blood in it, it clearly doesn't work. And so the vision is poor. Ultimately, when the dust settles, the patient is left behind with a big scar. And this is called a discoform scar because it looks kind of roundish. And this retina is not working. Again, the patient still has their peripheral vision. They still see all around, but not wherever it is that they're looking at. So if they were looking at a friend, they wouldn't see their face. They might see the floor and the ceiling, but they wouldn't see the thing that they're directly looking at, the thing that they're fixated on. So we try and prevent this from happening. About 10 years ago, we developed medication that could be injected into the eye. This is a scan of a patient who has received those injections, and so she has these areas of lumpy, bumpy stuff under the retina, but you can see that the retina itself is actually somewhat maintained, and there's no swelling or hemorrhage. So what about treatment? For the non-exudative or the dry kind, the only treatment we have that's scientifically proven and FDA approved is the eye vitamins. They're called AREDS number two, and they have lutein, zeaxanthine, zinc, and copper, as well as vitamin C and E. So these are mostly antioxidants. And the studies have shown that it decreases your risk of converting from the dry kind, which, again, is slow, progressive vision loss over many years, into the wet kind, which could cause massive hemorrhage and bleeding and blindness in a matter of weeks. The other thing we recommend is that you stop smoking, that you eat a healthy diet, and that you get checked every six months to make sure that we catch it if it starts to change from the dry kind into the wet kind. So if you start to develop some of those bad blood vessels that leak and bleed. For the wet kind of macular degeneration, in the past, again, about 15 or 20 years ago, the only thing we had was a laser. And we would use the laser to destroy the bad tissue 
the bad blood vessels that are growing inside the eye. Unfortunately, the laser would also cause damage. And so you were trading a blind spot to decrease the likelihood of going almost completely blind. And then about 10 years ago, we developed medications which we could inject into the eye. And these medications fight the bad blood vessels. The general category is anti-VEGF. And these are given via a needle into the eye about once a month. But there are new therapies which we are working on that prevent you from having to come once a month. Maybe you would only have to come every three months or maybe even less. So what are these future therapies that I'm talking about? So one therapy is gene therapy. One therapy is stem cells. And one therapy is what's called the bionic eye or a retinal implant. So I'm going to be talking about two different things. And I want to make clear that they're very different. So an intravitreal injection is a small procedure that's typically done in the office where we anesthetize the eye and then we clean it and then we stick a needle in your eye. Has anyone here had one? There we go. So you can ask these people, really doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> Most of the time it doesn't hurt. But the important thing is that we do it in a clean fashion. So an intravitreal injection is an injection of medicine or stem cells or something else inside the eye. What I'm talking about that's done routinely is the medication. It's called anti-VEGF medication. And there are three different brand names, but I don't need to talk about those. Um, and so that medicine is injected into the eye like this. So we numb the eye, we clean off the eye, make sure there's no bacteria, and then we stick a needle right in this one exact spot where it's safe to put a needle in the eye. That is an intravitreal injection. It takes a couple minutes to do. It's not done in the operating room. And... I'm contrasting that to what's called a subretinal injection, where we take the patient to the operating room, okay, and this is the inside of an eye. We stick instruments inside the eye. We remove all of the jelly that fills the space so that we can go all the way down here and then inject medicine underneath the retina. Again, the retina is this very thin layer of tissue. It's the film in the camera. And we're trying to reach underneath the retina and put medicine underneath the retina in the macula. What is gene therapy? Right now, we're using gene therapy to infect retinal cells with a gene that makes the eye produce the medicine. And this goal is to replace the need for monthly injections. Because if we can make your eye make the medicine, then you don't need us to give it to you.
So retinal gene therapy has been used for retinal dystrophy to replace a defective gene. That's a different way of using gene therapy. So again, the first one we're talking about is using viral gene therapy, something called an adeno-associated virus. So they take the virus that gives you the cold, and they muck with its DNA and insert the gene for the medicine, and then they inject that fluid that contains that virus, because viruses are good at attacking cells and getting inside them. And then those cells will then produce whatever gene the doctors want them to produce. The second kind of gene therapy you may have read about recently is something called CRISPR. And this was what was used, uh, I think, in China when they modified an embryo. Okay, so the second type of gene editing therapy is called CRISPR. And this was recently used in China to modify human embryo. And there was a lot of ethical discussion about this. But CRISPR can also be used to do gene therapy in the eye. And the different approaches can use different ways of sending the virus or the vector into the eye. Again, the intravitreal approach is just one needle, whereas a subretinal approach is a really big surgery and where you're putting the virus or whatever it is directly in the area that is affected. But it's a surgery and it's a lot bigger deal. So how is that different than stem cell therapy? Well, a stem cell is a cell which has the potential to differentiate into a terminally differentiated cell. So what does that mean? So remember when we all started off as a fertilized egg, that egg divided and became two, and that two became four, which became eight, which became 16. And then at some point, those cells had to change to become skin and hair and muscle. So early on, each of those 16 cells could become anything. But then it differentiated so that it could only become, again, skin or nail or stomach muscle or whatever. So the theory behind stem cell therapy is that if we can inject stem cells into the area where the cells have died, that those stem cells will settle down and replace the dead cells. And so this is one of the things that's currently being used in clinical trials for the dry form of the macular degeneration in patients who have atrophy. Those clinical trials are not yet complete. And when they do be complete, then they'll be submitted to the FDA and may become therapy for people in this room.
currently that therapy requires a subretinal injection. So it's a big surgery. So finally, what is this retinal implant or bionic eye? So this was pioneered by Dr. Humayun at USC. And he utilized the fact that in macular degeneration, the nerve is still working. So still carrying information from the eye to the brain. But the photoreceptors, which are the part of the eye that senses the light and initiates the electrical signal, that's the part that was broken. And so he came up with this device, and it has been used in people. They've finished version 2, and they're working on version 3. And how it works is you take a camera, and you digitize that picture. You turn it into pixels, and then you somehow get the retina to be excited. So how do we do that? So the patient wears a camera, it's right here, on these glasses that he's wearing. So that camera is connected via this cable to a little computer that he wears on his waist. That computer does the digitizing, right? Turns the picture into ones and zeros, dots, black and white, okay? And then that digitized signal is then sent back up the wire to this big black thing that is at the side of the glasses. That black thing is a transmitter. Well, what is it talking to? That transmitter is talking to the implant. So this is the eye, and inside the eye, they've placed the retina implant. So it is a small piece of material that is sitting right on top of the retina that is not working. There is a cable which is connected to the receiver or the antenna. That antenna is outside the eye. So the transmitter, which is sending the digitized picture to the antenna, which is sitting on the eyeball, that antenna sends the information through this cable into the eye onto the chip that is sitting on the retina, and it fires small electrical impulses. And the remaining portion of the retina which is the wiring, will take that signal and send it to the brain. This device has been implanted in patients with retinitis pigmentosa who are blind, meaning have vision at the level where they can only tell if there's light or not in the room, but they can't see more than that. They can't see their hand in front of their face. Their vision is very poor. And those people are now able to get about... 16 by 16 pixel vision. So what that means is, I don't know if you remember the old Atari video games where you had those block pixels. 16 by 16. That's not a lot of pixels. But they can tell if things are white or dark and have 16 by 16 resolution vision. 
And obviously the next versions will have better resolution. So the whole point here is that there are a lot of smart people working on these problems. For some of you, I know you can't wait. But we have to do things slowly. And that is the end of my presentation. And I'm happy to take questions. Sure.